Brian Howard, central midfielder. Barnsley, Sheffield United. Reading, Millwall, Birmingham, Bristol City. So thanks for joining us on the second tier, Brian. Uh, so you're now an agent as well. So we'll start off by talking about your playing career. But we want to get your thoughts on uh, some of the things that are going on in the world right now from an agent's perspective as well. But you started off your career as a trainee at Southampton, quite a highly rated one at the time as well. Uh, but you were released at the age of 20. And after that, you had a trial at Chelsea, who even offered you a contract, but you turned it down. Why was that? Well, at the time I'd come through at Southampton, like I said, I was very highly rated from from a young age. Uh, expectations were very high. I came through the whole England youth setup, um, and it comes to the point where I wasn't getting any any looking in first team football, and I wanted to go play first team football. That was my desire. Um, so we we kind of had a meeting with Gordon Strachan at the time. He didn't feel I was close enough to his first team. Um, I mean, nowadays probably people stay and play two or three years in the 23s. Where back then, you know, I was 19, 20 years old. I wanted to be playing first team football, um, so I felt it was best that I went elsewhere. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who was at Chelsea, who said that you know they'd they'd heard whispers I was leaving, um, and would I fancy going there? So I spent three months there, and, and they um, offered me a, a one year contract. But in that time, uh, Mr. Abramovich took over, started to sign a lot of players and I was just never ever going to get a look in there either so it would have been point going from Southampton to Chelsea at the time. Yeah, do you think that's important even now for players that when they're a young age they're better off going to get first team football than as you said a minute ago just playing in the under 23s for a few years maybe have a few loan spells and then probably get released by the end of it? Yeah, I think so and and you kind of look at the the England team of recent years and you know, a lot of those players have come through the through the championship and, and the EFL um, by gaining vast experience of, of first team football at a young age. You know, obviously, even some of them have been playing, you know, in the 23s, but they've gone out and, and played first team football. And I think it's crucial to do that. You know, there's no point hanging around at clubs to 22-3. You know, people earn a lot of money in these Premier League clubs now, but they, uh, you know, they don't really kick on and, and play the games they need to. Yeah. Well, you chose uh, Swindon as the club to leave uh, Southampton for and had a rather successful spell there. But the club was in a bit of a rocky spell financially, weren't they? And that resulted you uh, going to Barnsley, which was undoubtedly the best spell of your career, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think that's kind of what put me on the map, really. It was the the longest spell I had continuous in the first team injury free. Um, you know, I was trusted with the with the captaincy at a young age, and uh, you know everything just fit correctly for me at the club at the time. And you know, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there, and you know, a pretty successful time for the club as well. Mm. Why did everything seem to go so well there for you? I think sometimes you just find the place that fits. We had a young squad; uh, everyone bought into the ideas of the manager. Uh, we had a great team spirit. Um, and, and you worked hard for each other, um, and it just it, it just it just fitted. Um, you know, just, I think I still speak to a lot of that squad. I think we all went off and had various careers, and everyone still comes back to and says, you know, that team, that squad, they've never had anything like it. You know, again. Mm. 
well, the two, 2007 08 season was unbelievable for you, wasn't it? Um, I imagine there's one moment in particular that stands out for you, but we'll get <laughs> onto that in just a sec. Uh, but 13 goals that season, you captained the side, you were named in the PFA Team of the Year despite Barnsley finishing uh, 18th, and you got to an FA Cup semi final as well. Individual seasons don't get much better than that at championship level, do they? No, and I think you've lost a couple of goals off me there as well. A couple of cup goals, maybe. <laughs> Sorry. I've ended up with 15. No, no problem. I ended up with 15 goals that season. And actually, I think assists, um, assists weren't you know, as, as kind of out there as what they are now. Um, but, you know, yeah, 15 goals, 10 assists. My all-round game was, was pretty high that level that year. And like you said, a team that was down the bottom. And I remember getting the call from the PFA saying it's not very often that you getting the team of the year for a team that finishes fourth, fifth bottom. You know, it's normally made up of the, the playoff teams. So to get that, that was probably my most proud moment uh, as a player to be voted that by my fellow pros, um, you know, team of the year in, in a championship year that had real, real top players in it. Yeah, I was having a look through at some of the PFA teams of the year and I think the only player I could find who finished lower I managed to get in the PFA team of the year was Ross, Ross McCormack when he was at Fulham. And that's only because he scored like a million goals that season. Uh, but of yeah. course, the standout moments in, I presume your career as well, was uh, probably one of the most famous cup upsets of this century when you scored a 93rd minute winner at Anfield against Liverpool. Talk us through that moment. What was going through your mind when it happened? Uh, I, I get asked this a lot and the, question, the answer to the question is, I don't really know. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was late in the game. We'd had our, our back against the wall for a lot of the game, defended brilliantly. I remember, you know, Steely, the goalkeeper, made his debut and was was absolutely incredible. As far as debuts go, I don't think they get much better, um, you know, especially for a goalkeeper. And I remember just obviously receiving the ball and getting brought down for what was a you know, blatant penalty. Um, you know, I thought that was, and being the penalty taker as well, I thought this is the chance, you know, last minute goal and field. And, and the referee didn't give it, so you know, I chased the referee 20 yards down the pitch. And because I chased him, I found myself in a position I probably wouldn't have been in and to pick up the ball and kind of thought, well, you know, my legs are knackered here. I just need to, to hit it as hard as I can. And you know, luckily it nestled in the bottom corner. Yeah, and you danced around Xabi Alonso as well. I was watching it yesterday and was like, oh, Christ, Xabi Alonso? Just made him look like he wasn't there. It was superb. But uh, that goal really put you in the headlines, didn't it? And after that season that you had uh, you were being linked with everyone you were even quoted as saying either give me a new contract or sell me it's like you were born to be an agent Brian uh, how much interest <laughs> were you getting at the time um, a lot but you know no one was, was really putting the money on the table because you know as I'm finding now in the agency world it's you know clubs go okay well how much is it how much can it cost what's the deal and you know, clubs are going to Barnsley or asking the agent, and it was well, I don't know. Um, and then I think uh, Patrick Crine, who's, who's sadly not with us anymore, but you know, great respect for, and you know, we fell out of the time, but we, we made up since, um, which I was, which I'm happy about. He quoted in the in the national paper that you know I was worth ten million pounds. Now, a player that finished fourth bottom in the championship that had one year left on his deal that wasn't a particularly good contract worth 10 million and uh, I don't know where that number platform but it, it put off a lot of clubs um, and even when it started to come down to 4 million and 3 million the other you know, the year left on my deal it was it was never really going to happen so uh, you know the contract talks kind of stalled um, we were bringing in players you know the likes of you know John Mack and Rob Kosluk uh, Darren Moore uh, players that were coming from much higher level, and you know you get wind of 
what people were earning. And I felt I was club captain at the time. I delivered a lot for the club and yeah, I wasn't being offered my worth. So uh, you know, I actually wasn't offered anything. No, and I didn't even come to a new contract until an offer came on the table from from Sheffield United and, and they said, oh, do you want to stay? We'll give you a new deal. And I said, well, it's too late now. Yeah, yeah I want to go. So were you quite upset at the time that they didn't offer you a new deal until that interest came in? Yeah, yeah. Uh, other players got new contracts that didn't deliver half of what I did. Um, and it's it's always disappointing. You think, you know, you, you work hard, you, you sacrifice everything, you deliver on the pitch and you don't ever get, you know, what you feel you deserve. And, you know, it's not only that, you know, I, was, I had a, a year left, you know, I could have got injured. Um, you're on that security, especially at, at 24 years old. You know, if... if you know, I was older, I'd understand that people don't want to give secure contracts, but at 24, yeah, I was kind of not even in my prime yet. So do you have no regrets about that period? Um, I think you always have, not regrets, but you, you'd like to make decisions differently. Um, you know, I think I could have handled things better. I think the club could have definitely handled things better. Um, but the, the opportunity come to, to go to Sheffield United, I didn't have to move, it was local. Um and I just felt that, you know, that was the best opportunity of, of getting promoted to the Premier League with the squad that we had. It was a ridiculous squad. And, you know, I, I had friends that were in the team in the squad. Um, and, and I just felt that was the right place to go. Yeah. Well, you, as you say, you did go to Sheffield United. And that move didn't really work out, did it? Um, I know there's usually a multitude of reasons why they don't work out. But if there was one main reason that you had to give, what would you say it was? Um... I think we had probably a too good of a squad. Um, it was you didn't know the the best team. You know, I think the gaffer probably looked at it um, and and said, you know, what what is my best team? I think there was Carl Norton and Carl Walker broke for that year that he didn't expect um, to come through. Um, that added even more value to the squad. But again, it was I think we had five subs that year it was uh, in the champ. So you're trying to fit a a 25-30 man squad of international players and top quality players, there's always going to be 10, 10 unhappy players. Um, so I think trying to keep everyone happy and uh, get the best out of everyone, uh, that kind of probably didn't help us as much as what, what it should have done. And not only that, I think selling James Beattie in, in January um, really harmed us because he was top goal scorer in the champ that year I think and he went on to keep Stoke up that year in, in the Premier League where I felt that if we had just kept him for you know another four or five months then he would have got the goals that would have gone up automatically I think we drew nil-nil the last two games of the season when one either of those would have gone up automatically and no doubt if he was in the team I think, you know, he would have got us a goal to, to get us promoted yeah, I've seen past interviews you've done where you've said that side really should have got promoted. Yeah. Um, let's move on to your time at Reading. Uh, it started off quite well, but then you lost your place towards the end, didn't you? Um, there was one moment in particular which I really wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, it's a bit of a bizarre incident because it's when you suffered a fractured jaw after yeah. a clash of heads away at Derby. Uh, now, this made big news because while you were writhing in pain on the floor, the Derby mascot was... And quite frankly, taking the mickey out of you. Uh, do you remember the incident at all? Uh, parts of it, yeah. You know, I think it's the only time I ever defended a corner uh, <laughs> in my box. I was always edge of the box or stay up. You know, uh, you know, five foot nothing, or I'm not really going to win a defensive header. And I was got asked to do a job on the near post that day. I just remember the ball going over my head, turning round, and then the next thing, waking up on the floor. And I watched the replay back, and and Sean Barker caught me with a stray elbow. Um, I just remember waking up a bit faded and there was commotion going on behind me. 
I think the uh, the mascot would give me a, a three count, a WWE three count wrestling. And uh, when I looked round, I think Ben Hamer, the, the sub goalkeeper, didn't didn't really like it, and he had they actually wrestled him to the floor and gave him a couple of digs. And uh, I just remember it all kicking off. But then walked around the pitch, obviously dazed, and then kind of being in hospital and um, not really having a clue what was going on, pretty much for a couple of days until I had the operation. Mm. I imagine it was quite painful. Uh, yeah, yeah. It obviously, you couldn't feel it at the time because I think a bit of shock and obviously dizziness, and then kind of that night and yeah, dehydrated from the game anyway, and trying to trying to have a drink and or trying to eat something it was just impossible. And you know, it was good for the diet for a bit, so I was on baby food for a few <laughs> weeks. So uh, yeah, that was good. The body fat came down, but um, yeah, it was uh, obviously not great timing either because Brendan had brought me in. Um, and then during that time that, that I was missing injured, the results didn't really go for him and, and he sadly lost his job because you know, I, was, I was really enjoying working for him and I'm sure if he'd stayed longer, he would have gone on with that Reading team because he was doing it already, they're turning that Reading team into what he's done at you know Liverpool, Celtic and Leicester. Yeah. How would you sum up your time at Reading as a whole? Really enjoyed most of it. Um, again, it was that was the closest it came to the squad that I had at Barnsley in terms of um, yeah, good lads, great team bonding, um, good players. We're really good players in that team, and uh, just just really enjoyed it as as a club in general. It's, it's a really nice club to play for. Good people. Uh, you know, I was, I was lucky to go back there three or four weeks ago to do commentary for a game, and it's still you go back there, and it's the same people that work in the stadium. And so welcome. It's it's a really good club, and it's it's nice to see them. And yeah, unexpectedly for me, at the top of the league again, trying to push to get back promoted. Yeah, we'll ask you about them a bit later on. But uh, you went to Portsmouth for a few months uh, when they were at peak financial meltdown. What was yeah. it like being at the club at the time? Uh, I had um, I, I'd lost my kind of father at a, a similar time, and yeah, you know, I had offers from other clubs, but Portsmouth was was on my doorstep. Obviously, a massive club. Um, I spoke to the manager, obviously Michael Abton, who's who was very very highly thought of as a, as a young coach and manager, and he's doing again a great job at Lincoln now. Um, I spoke to him and he said, look, we're going to get bought out. The, he showed me the plans for the buyout. Um, look, you're going to get a three-year contract, going to make your club captain. We're not only going to get promoted from League One this year, we're going to try and do what Southampton or what other clubs have done where they go, promotion, promotion. Um, and this is the plans and I want you to be my captain and I want you to be my leader in the dressing room and I want you to be the main main part of that. So obviously that was music to my ears. But then as the weeks progressed, um, no financial backing came, no buyout. We were on week to week, month to month contracts. Um, I then picked up a double hernia, uh, but because the, we didn't have a squad to, to you know, f replace people, you know, I had to still play week in, week out, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, uh, in a team that was in struggling. It was it was a real tough time for me, um, you know, with the injury and and obviously mentally with everything else that was going on. Yeah, how was that like playing with a double hernia? Yeah, it was tough. Um, you know, it's it was one of those where I could hardly train, so the fitness would drop. Um, it was literally get off the bus, warm up, play, ice, recover, stretch, look after yourself, play again, um, and then obviously each game it just deteriorates more and more, um, and the pitches were getting heavier and worse. Um, you struggle to to get around the pitch and. Especially you know, in a team that's struggling, your captain, you're trying to overdo things, and it just, it just, you know, it just wasn't right. Yeah, I, I struggled to play with a stitch when I'm playing five a side. <laughs> but um, just go back to what you were saying about the promises that were made to you 
at the start of your spell at Portsmouth. You were left after six months, didn't you? So that must have yeah. been quite a contrast compared to when you started and when you left. Exactly. Yeah, well, I think Michael had, had, had gone to Blackpool. Um, other players were, were leaving. I think uh, we had Akos Pazaki come in for a bit. He left. Um, Lee Williams was leaving. Scotty Allen had gone back. Uh, kind of the, the better teams, in, in uh, the better players in the team. Um, John Hardy had left and it kind of looked here and you know, the, I had an opportunity. Obviously, I had to get my, I had to go for the for the operation. So I was out for a few weeks, and I, and I kind of looked what happened in that couple of weeks while I was doing my rehab. And you know, the, um, yeah, an opportunity to go back to the championship with with Bristol City, and yeah, the club obviously felt it was right as well because you know I, I was on not a bad contract, and and they couldn't afford to to pay it anymore. So it just made sense for everyone to for me to to move and, and go to Bristol. Mm. Well, you had a few short spells after Portsmouth at Bristol City, Birmingham, and even in Bulgaria. At what mm. point would you say it was the big turning point in your career where you went from championship midfielder being linked with Premier League clubs to a yeah. few years later struggling to find a club? I think it was probably that time. Um, I went on loan to Millwall and done particularly well, uh, and they wanted to sign me permanently. Um, I went back to Reading, like I said, I had you know, family issues and and I wanted to be around my dad because he was he was very ill, mm. um, and I kind of uh, lost lost faith and trust in football for a little bit. Um, I think you know the way I was treated at Reading, you know, it was it was crazy. I went back there from the loan at Millwall, and we, we brought in um, a few players and brought in Benny Afobi, and I trained for a week or two, and he and he said to me, "Why do you not play?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, oh, "Are you injured?" And I was like, "No." And he said, uh, "Have you come back from injury?" I said, "No." He said, "You suspend us," and I goes. Best player here. How, how do you not play? And uh, you know, I, I stupidly decided to, to ask the manager that in front of everyone, and uh, wasn't probably a great idea. But you know, I should have been playing. Um, and I've spoken to the manager since over, over since we both moved on. And you know, I think there was cross wires on why I didn't play. But yeah, you know, I felt I definitely should have played. And I just, you know, I kind of, I, I said, lost my faith and trust in football then. And um, you know, kind of my career went went from there. Yeah. It seems to be a common theme when I speak to footballers. They all, all the footballers I've spoke to so far, or the majority of them anyway, they all seem to have at least one moment in their career where they think to themselves, oh, I don't really have that much faith in the people in football anymore. Is it quite a regular thing, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there's uh, yeah, a lot of people... Yeah, football's a very selfish game. Um, and... and if you're not selfish and you won't make it because you've got to dedicate yourself so much and, and give everything you can into football. But again, that's like worse for a manager. It probably even more so now that you, know, you lose two games and you're losing your job. So to have that trust and faith in people, he's got to look after 25, 30 players. You know, you don't matter as an individual as much as what the, the group does. Mm. And I think that's what kind of players sometimes struggle with. Um, you know, that's something I definitely did. And I think definitely coming from that most clubs, you know, I was always captain and, and the main man. To then not be, it's it's difficult to to digest at times. Yeah. Well, you retired in 2015 to go into sports management. Uh, why why did you become an agent? Yeah, I think it's one of those. I think you can probably talk to a, a lot of players and ex players, and it's always the same thing. Do I go into coaching? Do I go into management? Do I go into the media? Uh, and now you see more and more doing this side of it. Um, and I think so many players. Uh, I've paid such high agency fees over the years and realised what agents have earned from them 
and probably thought they've actually not done a lot for me. Um, and I think they then go, well, and this is certainly what I felt. I thought, well, I, I want to look after players the way I would want to get looked after. I want an agent coming to my games. I want them to speak to me a lot. I want to ask how training's going. I want to be able to pick up the phone and, and say, look, training has not gone great today. Should I speak to the manager? Uh, I'm finding this hard. What can I do? And, you know, just little bits that we've touched on there from the highs and lows that, that I had in, the, in those years. I've got all the experience now to pass it on to my players and, and I've got it now. You know, I was, I was driving home from the game last night and a player phoned me who came off the bench for 10 minutes, got booked and, you know, the manager wasn't best pleased with that. I had another player who has got most appearances in the EFL over the last two years. He's now found himself on the bench and comes on in the 90th minute. But the team's won 4-0 and they've gone third in the league. But yet he's now not happy. Um, so I'm speaking to players at half 10, 11 o'clock last night and just trying to say, look, I've been there, trust the process, keep your head, keep you know, keep your standards high and, and things change so quickly in football. So I've got that kind of expertise expertise but I've, I've got the experience I'd say of, of living through that that I can pass on to the players Is it quite a common thing then for managers uh, not managers agents to not really do that then? Sometimes I speak to players say, say now I'm you know I'll speak to players and I say oh you know and they'll say oh I'm not happy with my agent I say oh how come and he said well I've not spoken to him in six months and he's like what and they say yeah well he just turns up does the deal takes the money and then calls me again when my contract's up um, and don't get me wrong look, some players want that you know we have one or two players that are like look I'm, I'm experienced I don't need you to to babysit me but I just want to make sure that my money's right and my contract's right and you know I'll do the rest um, but you know I think more and more now especially now with the corona you know, you know pandemic affecting football players yeah, mentally as well we, we had a lot of Zoom chats over um, over the the shutdown with with all our players with mind coaches just to keep them focused. So it's just little things like that to to keep players you know mentally right as well as physically right. It's a little known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk. In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in-store in either London or Manchester. Well, from the perspective of the second tier, your most interesting client to us is Jacob Brown, who of course moved to Stoke from Barnsley in the summer. For listeners who aren't as familiar with him, he's a striker slash winger, doesn't score many, but his link-up play is brilliant and he creates loads of chances. He's a quality player, isn't he, Brian? Yeah, yeah, and you know what? He's he's an absolutely fantastic lad as well. Um, absolute great lad, and again, he's he's one of those that you know players we look at, and he's not flashy. Uh, like, you know, talk about the lockdown, the shutdown. He spoke to the mind coach, and he said one of his things in shutdown was he wanted to stay, stop being on his phone all the time, stop going on Instagram, stop going on social media, and he started to read books and he started to read motivational books. Well, and he came back absolutely flying from the shutdown finished the season great was instrumental in keeping Barnsley in the championship 
and, and he secures himself a, a move to to Stoke and he's got, got himself a great contract now it's, it's, it's a step up for him he needs to go again but like I said it's he's exciting Michael O'Neill we've got real high hopes for him he knows that he's nowhere near the finished article but he's got the basis to be to be a top player and you know they're already working on him like you said there his link up plays great I think he does too much unselfish work mm. maybe runs for others more than what he, he needs to but obviously for, as a manager that's great but I think sometimes and what they're going to work on is that rather than running out wide to create space for anyone else you get yourself at the back post and you get a goal um, and I think that he's working on that day in day out and training with with Andy and uh, Andy Cousins and, and Michael O'Neill, the coaches, and, and Billy at, at Stoke, and he's working really hard that hopefully he can start getting his goals up and, and push Stoke towards the Premier League. Yeah, and he's still a young lad, isn't he? Do you think he's potentially a Premier League player one day? I, th- I think he's got the assets to be, um, and he's definitely got the mentality. It's now putting it all together. Um, and I think w- with all players, it's, it's about having that longevity of... Of, of, and staying in the team, playing games, getting minutes, and but I think the more and more he plays, you know, he's playing alongside Sam Vokes and and Fletcher, and you know, real experienced players. And if you can't learn off them, then then you're going to be struggling. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on a few things that have been in the news recently. One of them is wage caps. Uh, I know you've spoken out against them before. They're being introduced in Leagues 1 and 2 at some point, but decisions have not been made in the Championship yet at the time of recording, that is. But it's been talked about for a while. Why are you opposed to them? I'm opposed to them because I think it's... It's, it's unlawful at the moment. Uh, I don't. I don't see who it's favouring. It favouring. You're looking at clubs now that I'm still speaking to clubs, and I've got yeah, you know, I've got one player in particular who's still out of contract. There's still put a thousand players out of contract. Yeah, clubs want to sign them. They don't have the players. You know, I said earlier, I done Millwall, the commentary of Millwall Barnsley on the weekend. Barnsley had two hamstring warm up uh, injuries in the warm up because of the. You know, the championship ferocious as it is, let alone now of a short pre-season and you know, even more games crammed in, there's going to be injuries. So with the salary cap, it actually stops clubs having squads and it stops players working. And what you're going to find out is you get lots of injuries, lots of players then struggling. Clubs then don't do as well as what they can because they can't replace them with other players. And you know, it's all well and good saying that we're going to financially um, stop clubs doing a berry, doing a what Bolton have done I completely understand that but actually you're stopping people working football has wealthy owners so for now let them put money in let clubs you know it's not you know Amazon have done great in lockdown you're not saying to them oh you can't spend it because John Lewis is struggling as a shop because you got to do the same as them football's the same you know if someone's got money let them put money in because what they'll do is and they'll buy a player from lower down and then they'll get the money the money will drip feed in and you know, eventually the government's going to need money back. Now, football, we paid, was it £3 billion in tax uh, last year? Because it's PAYE. So pl- people say, oh, players earn £100,000 a week. Well, no, £50,000 a week goes to the government. So the government are going to need money back. So if people have got money to put into football, do it for now. But again, you've got to govern it and say, let's not do a berry, let's not do that. So I, I completely understand a, a form of capping, but just nowhere near at the levels that are as low as what they are. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, the 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 examples of Berry and Bolton. That's more down to poor ownership, isn't it? As opposed mm. to wages going out of control. But yeah. would you accept that spending on wages in the Championship, in particular, have 
gotten a bit out of control and need to be sorted out because Reading, for example, I, I might be getting my sums completely wrong here, but I think they were spending four times on wages last season or the season before as they were getting an income. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, I wish they were doing that when I played there. <laughs> uh, that would have been all right. Um, no, but yeah, and I think like, you know, I said, I, I still go back to Reading a lot and I look at it and now they're on their fifth manager in three years, is it? And so not every manager wants to bring in their own players. So he'll say, I want to sign X, Y, Z. They're going to give them brilliant contracts to bring them in because they're their top targets. And then the new manager comes in, doesn't want them. He wants his own three. So then you're left with five managers worth of players, all on big contracts. And you know, you've got a dressing room of 40 players. How are you going to keep them happy? But every single one of them is earning an absolute fortune. So no one else is going to give them that money. So they're all stuck there. So I think there's got to be some sort of management on it. And yeah, you, you you're chasing that that dream, aren't you? You're chasing that Premier League dream. It's it's where everyone wants to be. So how much do you risk to get that reward? And I think that's the the problem in the champ that you know you got 15 clubs risking it to get there, where only three can go. Um, so you're going to end up with 12 clubs that are that have overspent. And the thing is, as well, in the Premier League, there isn't going to be a wage cap, or nothing's been mentioned about it yet. And say, for example, you've got a squad of players who are earning 20 grand a week or the average wage is 20 grand a week say they're not getting any game time at a Premier League club then they won't be able to drop down to a championship club will they because they're more they'll probably prefer to soak up the wages and not play than take a pay cut to play football at the championship right now yeah uh, and I think there's been a lot of issues that this summer that um, you know obviously people are on huge contracts in the Premier League now the championship you you seen one crazy one with with Wilson going to Cardiff. I mean, you know, the rumor is that they're paying all of his sixty grand a week wages and and everything else. So they're still happening. But what you're finding is that you know we had it with one player that was interested in the championship. He's at a Premier League team and said, "How much is he on?" We said, and he said, "Well, that's Premier League wages. We can only afford to give champ Premier League." So I said, "Well, why should we pay him for go and play for someone else? He'll have to take a cut." And and to what some players have actually said. For example, a player would be on twenty five thousand a week. He can get eighteen in the champ. He's taking seven thousand a week cut to go play because he wants to play. Mm. There's other players that are saying, "No, I'm not giving up a penny. Why should I? I've got that contract. I've worked hard for it." So, I think it comes down to the individual. And yeah, it might be that a player is on that money and he's he's up in the summer, so he needs to go play. Otherwise, he'll sit in the reserves for the twenty three three year. Doesn't play. He won't get half of that. Where if a player's got two three years, he might just sit on it and say, "Well." I'll see, manager might lose his job, it might be an injury, there might be whatever. So I think it's very much circumstantial. Yeah. And looking at the coronavirus pandemic as a whole, a lot's been made about how it's going to affect clubs, but how will it impact uh, players and the deals that are being made? Uh, well, obviously, we spoke about the salary caps in League One and League Two. Um, you know, we've we've had it in now in the summer where we've done a few contracts and actually saying look, agency fees have got to come down. Obviously, it used to be at a certain percentage. It's now got to come down. Uh, clubs are trying to use that as a benefit and say, well, if you get the player to come to me, we'll give you a bigger agency fee. Um, and other, you know, other clubs are saying, well, it is what it is. But you know, we've got to do what's what's right by the players um, and get that and get that right. I think you're finding contracts are coming down, especially for older players in in terms of length. I think you're going to see you know players over 27, 28. You're going to see a lot of, unless they're in real top form, 
one year with one year options contracts because people don't want to be giving out three four year contracts now because you know who saw this coming who knows where they're going to be in a year's time let alone two three years time so i think that's going to be hugely affected um and probably more so like i said the, the salary cap of the next two years there's players that you know i mentioned a player earlier who's doing particularly well at a, a club that we look after he's got one year left and they've paid a lot of money for him now they're not allowed to give him a new contract because it puts over the salary cap he's already over it so how do they go about it unless they get promoted they're going to have to sell him or lose him for nothing because you know they're not actually allowed to give him a new contract so that's why I think you know the, you know, the salary cap in fact that's wrong as well with you know it's actually affecting clubs more than it's helping mm. okay uh, well the final question about uh, agents is kind of um, the agents as a whole where a lot's often made about the power that agents have at the top of the game when it comes to, you know, manufacturing deals and agent fees as well. Do you feel like those agents give other agents lower down a bad name? Um, I don't know. Um, I think that when you're at that level, if you are, you know, I think you're kind of relating to a, maybe a Paul Pogba or someone like that and and uh, Amino, and I think you are, you're at that level and you've got a, a client who's that that highly thought of and he wants the best for him, you've got to go to war for him. You've got to go and get the job done, otherwise someone else will do. Um, so I think the agents are there to take the brunt of it. You know, you're going to apply, if a player goes around and says, oh, no, I'm happy just to go there for £20,000 a week, you know, the agent goes and gets a deal done, no problem. But, you know, a player saying I want two hundred and fifty grand a week and as soon as a new player comes in, I want another deal on three hundred and fifty grand a week, the yeah, the club doesn't want to give him it because it's now extortionate. But the agent's got to go and, and manufacture it the best he can, otherwise he'll lose a client. You know, and you know, football agents is in such a, a public domain. But it's no different from a you know a friend selling a house up the road, and the agent said, "Let's pull it on for more because you'll get more." It's it's exactly the same, but just that football is with players and and such a you know like a, a public sport. Just a quick chat on um, Barnsley and Reading then uh, yeah. Barnsley have had a tricky start to the season, wasn't helped by uh, Gerhard Struber leaving. Are you confident that they'll be able to stay up this season? Because we, at the start of the season, thought they might be able to push for mid-table, but the disruption so far hasn't really helped things, has it? I think so. Um, yeah, obviously, been involved with it quite a lot uh, and moving Jacob out. Um, I think losing Jacob was was difficult because he not only is a good player, he's so influential in the dressing room. Um, so I think, him moving and I think that upset a few other players that then wanted to exit I think since then it's settled down with, with Corley Woodrow signing a new contract I think bringing in Matty James Herbie Kane uh, I think Callum Britton is a superb signing I thought he was a brilliant at the weekend I liked him at MK Dons and I think it, that's uh, that's another brilliant signing for them I think using the Jacob money to bring in those players it's it's a more well-rounded squad this year, and what I like is that they now got Solbauer at the back, you've got Matty James, and you've got you know Woodrow for the top, who's he's still young but he's experienced. You've got an experienced backbone that maybe Barnsley don't normally have. Um, you know, Mowat's another year older, the captain there. You now look at it and go, right, they have got good young players that still need nurturing, but they've got experience now, and you know, staying up the way they did last year, they've got that know-how of of Championship football now. Um, and I think it helped them with fans not back because where they make mistakes because they're young players, fans would get on their backs last year and you could see them crumble in games. You know, I was, was at a lot. But I think this year the, the confidence is growing with a change of manager, with 
you know everything else changing the club. Hopefully they can they can move onwards and upwards. And I agree with you. I think they'll. I think Barnsley will do enough to to pull away. The um, Barnsley fans who we spoke to just before uh, Valerie Nishbel was appointed, they were saying mm. they wanted a experienced Championship manager who mm. had who knew what the league was like, but instead they've gone abroad again to bring in mm. Ishmael. Do you do you think that makes a difference whether a manager is experienced at this level? Uh, I think it helps. It obviously helps, but, you know, Barnsley like to do things differently. And I think the success they've had with Daniel Stendhal, uh, with Struber, and now hopefully Ishmael coming in, they've gone down a certain route. And I think they looked at the squad they had and it was built by Struber and the way he wanted to play. So there's no point going and bringing in a manager that doesn't want to play that way because they can bring an experienced championship manager that goes, well, I want to play this way, but actually he's got a squad that is that it's not in a transfer window, you can't go and replace five players. That squad's there to work with. So they've gone to look for a coach that goes, right, we've got a basis of a well-rounded squad now. It's got experience. We've got young players who want to develop and move on um, because that's obviously the club's philosophy. Let's bring in a coach that's going to help these boys go to another level. And you, know, you come in, you, you have one day's training and you win 3-0 at home. You, you don't get much better than that. Yeah, true. Uh, finally, Reading. They have had a very good start to the season, haven't they? Do you think, from what you've seen of them so far, they'll be able to maintain that? Uh, I hope so. They've certainly got the squad. You look at it now, they've got goals in the team. You know, Maite and Jao up top. You've got John Swift, who I think is one of the better players at this level. Uh, very creative um, and I know they've they've shown it up at the back. It's you know we've you know, you've got Morrison and, and out of the back, they're experienced championship players that know how to keep clean sheets. And then if you do that and you've got the boys at the other end, I think the, the young player, Lee C, I don't know if you've seen him, yeah. I think he's going to go on and, and play right at the top level. I think he's class. He's getting better and better all the time. And again, I think they've got a, a nice blend like sort of, of experienced championship players, but exciting youngsters. And I think if they can keep the, the main core of those players fit, I think that's going to be everyone this year because of the, the impact of the games. Um, it's about keeping your better players fit for as long as possible. And I think if you keep your backbone fit and then you can dip in and out some youngsters that, that are going to kick on, then, then they'll do well. And I think getting off to such a good start is going to breed nothing but confidence. And you know, like I said, another new manager that people probably didn't know about has come in and done a, a great job at the start. We've been saying squad depth is massive this season, considering how yeah. quickly the games are coming thick and fast. Let's round up with um, just a quick fire question round. It's, yeah. it's very easy. I imagine you've been asked these questions a million times before. Uh, best player you ever played with? Uh, Matt Letizia, um coming through at Southampton. Um, yeah, that time it wasn't 23 football, it was reserve. So, you know, I was kind of 16, 17, pushed up to the reserves and we had a group of uh, of, of older pros that kind of dropped down and, yeah, there were some fantastic players in that group as well. You know, Mark Hughes was there, Andre Kinchelski, Stan Petrescu, Mark Draper, like real top Premier League players. But, you know, to play and train with with Tiz, you know, I was still lucky enough to play five aside of him now because um, we live locally and we, and we play in the ex-player stuff. But, um, yeah, just incredible ability, uh, just natural footballer that, um, you know, just a joy to watch, you know, doesn't lose the ball, just does, you know, outrageous things. And, he's, you know, he doesn't score the goals he did in the Premier League without having that, that raw talent. Has he still got it in five aside? He has, yeah. Yeah, he done something again the other day and it was in <laughs> slow mo- it was obviously in slow motion, but he just laughed because it's it's just still there. Is he better than you? Yeah. <laughs> just just <laughs> uh, best player you ever played against? Uh I was lucky enough that I said I played in the England youth setup and we went to the Toulon tournament out in, in the south of France and we turned up 
we played Portugal, and I think yeah, they Ricardo Caresma, uh, Postiga, Fiano just went to Newcastle for eight million. Yeah, they, they had a real good group, and then they had this, uh, a kid playing uh, with orange boots. Everyone's like orange boots, like white boots, has kind of just become acceptable. We're going back a few years here, and uh, and I said, oh, who's this kid then? And uh, so I said, oh, I think his name's Ronaldo. All right, okay. Yeah, he, he was. He wasn't bad. Um, I think uh, the manager called him a bit of a show pony, and we watched the we watched the game back the next day in the debrief, and and, and he's well, I think he got one goal and two assists, so he wasn't bad. What was he like to play against at that level? Was he still an absolute uh, animal then? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he wasn't the the beast that he is now. He was a he was a skinny winger who who just had great feet and, and was quick. And I like the way he said play against. I wouldn't say I actually played against him. It was I kind of just watched him. Yeah, run, yeah. run rings around us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best manager you played under? Brendan Rodgers. Um, it was a very, very short time because uh, obviously I picked up the injury and then he, and he sadly lost his job. But you could just see that he was going to go on to do what he's doing now. Mm. Um, every session was different. Uh, every session was so thought about. You know, you, you he would come in and say, right, you're doing a strength session today. So you automatically think, right, you're in the gym. But now it's like real small side game in a, in a box, you know, smaller in the kitchen, hand all in so that you're just holding off players, bouncing off players, and you're coming in after really sore because you're bouncing off players. And, you know, that's what he felt was a strength session rather than someone going in the gym doing, doing beach weight. So it was always just thinking outside of the box, doing different things like that. And, you know, so, yeah, sadly, he, he left when he did that reading. So I think that, you know, I, I would certainly improve hugely as a player working under him for longer. Yeah. Uh, worst manager you played under? I don't like asking this. Um, I'd, I'd say the one I played in Bulgaria because hopefully he can't understand me if he ever hears <laughs> this. Um, but yeah, that was that was strange working him under there. That was that was going back to old school army days. You know, training two, three times a day, every day. Morning sessions, you wouldn't even see a football. It'd be literally running penalty areas, penalty area for for an hour, um, and. Yeah, he didn't speak any English, so I didn't have ever a clue what he was, what he was trying to say. So I'd, I'd say him. Just followed what everyone else is doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, basically, it was just run. So just run. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brian, thank you for your time today. No, brilliant. Thank you for having me. Lovely. We'll be back again on Sunday. 